0: Thank you for listening to the Restoration City Church podcast. For more information about our church or to support us financially, please visit rtc.church. All right, well, hey, good morning. I'm thrilled to be here with you as we continue a series of messages that is really designed to prepare all of our hearts for Christmas. And we are calling it um, the way of peace, probably two reasons for that. First of all, that sounds exactly like what all of us are looking for this Time of year. Um, I remember starting this series a couple weeks ago and feeling like, yeah, wouldn't that be nice? And the closer we get to Christmas, the more I feel the sense of like, no, Lord Jesus, I am desperately in need of this way of peace as things seem to heat up the closer we get to the holiday. But that's not just aspirang- aspirational language that we grabbed from somewhere. The good news is that in Luke chapter 1, the scripture tells us that one of the things that Jesus came to earth to do is to guide our feet into the way of peace. That's Luke chapter 1, uh, verse 79, if you want to go check that out for yourself. So there is this sense that we are not left on our own trying to find this way of peace, that Jesus actually would like nothing more then to lead us into that, not just at Christmas, but throughout the entirety of our lives. But we all have sort of this common problem. The problem is um, that we go looking for peace in all of the wrong places, right? For example, it is incredibly easy for me to believe the lie that peace comes through control. When it comes to Christmas or probably any aspect of my life, um, my desired approach is, man, I want to script it, sell it, plan it, and execute it, right? I want to architect this wonderful vision, convince Laura that it's exactly what God has for us as a family, come up with a plan that factors in time constraints and financial constraints and in-laws and, my, and the whole thing. And then, man, once we've got that plan worked out, get through a couple drafts of it, man, we're just going to go run the play and have a blissful, joyful Christmas. And I realize as I'm saying that, some of you are like, wait, wait, excuse me, (laughs) hang on, I I was texting a friend. Are you saying that's wrong? Because that sounds like my dream. That sounds like, you know, the beginning of a halfway decent leadership talk. What is wrong with that approach? And I don't know that there's anything wrong with the methodology behind that reproach. but I think Jesus would say, look, but there is way too much of us In there, at least there's way too much of John in there and nowhere near enough of Jesus in that approach. See, I think at the end of the day, the Scripture invites us to consider some really big-picture questions, like maybe the Script shouldn't be ours to write, like maybe our souls are longing for more than we can make happen in our own power. Is it possible that we are settling for far too little by insisting on being in control of everything that happens around us? Because what the Scripture teaches is that the way of peace, in fact, the entire way of Jesus is found through surrender, not through control. And when I talk about us surrendering to God, I, I don't mean like us cowering in fear like God is coming toward us with hostile intent. I mean the kind of surrender that opens our heart and our lives to the reality that the Son of God is coming to us as the light of the world to extend love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and life itself to us it is as if Jesus is coming to each one of us today and saying, what would it look like for you to hand over the pen and allow Him to write the script for you? What would it look like for you to lean into His power? What would it look like for you to build your life off of His promises. And as we think about questions like that, we realize that nobody epitomizes a life of surrender more than Mary specifically when we first meet her in the early pages of Luke's gospel, right? West started in verse 26. Let's pick it up there. In the sixth month, that would be the sixth month of her relative Elizabeth's pregnancy because Luke has been telling the story of Jesus in relation to the story of John the Baptist. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. Sometimes when you're studying the Bible, the order is important and it seems like Luke is trying to say, hey, as Gabriel comes to Nazareth, the most important thing you need to know is that he is sent to a virgin who is engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. Oh, by the way, her name is Mary. And the angel comes to her and says, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she's deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. The angel told her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. See, the first thing we're going to see about Mary is she knew what it was like to wrestle with and then ultimately surrender to God's plan for her life. So, it's in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Gabriel shows up, and he absolutely freaks Mary out, which, no kidding, like if any of us were to have an angelic vision this week, I think it would really kind of rock your world in a sense, right? It doesn't matter whether the angel showed up to you at the break room in your office or in your living room or while you're out on an early morning prayer walk asking God to speak to you. It doesn't matter. If an angel showed up, you would be like, what in the world is going on? But I don't think Mary is terrified like, oh no, please don't hurt me. Because here's what you would believe about an angel, that Gabriel radiates such an inherent goodness that it makes it abundantly clear that he's not there as a threat. I think Mary would have just been able to sense in her body he's not there to hurt her. He hasn't come as a voice of condemnation and judgment. But I think there also would have been this sense in this young teenage girl that this angel isn't here simply to endorse her plans and her dreams for her life, right? There is no doubt that Mary is a hero of the faith, but there's also no doubt that she was a totally normal teenage girl which meant that her mind and life and heart were occupied with normal teenage girl kind of things. right? She spent a lot of time thinking about boys, one in particular named Joseph that she was engaged to. And she would have thought about friends and the ordinary teenage dramas of life. And she would have thought about chores and she would have thought about family dynamics and maybe even every once in a while a little bit of the village gossip. She was a normal kid living a normal life. She wasn't just meditating on Scripture all day long. And I think there would have been this sense in her heart that Gabriel is not just there to rubber stamp her plans for life, right? Because everything she's hoping and dreaming of for life isn't bad, but it's probably not worthy of angelic visitation. There's this sense that Gabriel is here to call her to something totally different, that he's calling her to lay down her plans and to embrace God's plans for her life, why was it important that the first thing we learned about Mary is that she's a virgin? Well, because of what's coming in verse 31. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. It was the kind of plan that would cause Mary and all the rest of us to rework our understanding of what the favor of God looks like, All right, Because when we think favor, we tend to think in terms of comfort and ease, right? God blessing us with just a really good day where everything works the way we want it to. Yet the Scripture seems to be showing us that the favor of God is not at all inconsistent with struggle and sacrifice, that sometimes the favor of God causes us to leave behind our vision of what it would look like if everything just fell into place and to reach for something altogether different. See, part of what we have to figure out in our minds and in our hearts is our reaction to the fact that God's plan for your life will always require more sacrifice and produce greater blessing than your plans for your life, that God's way is going to be harder in all likelihood than the way you would design for yourself. But God's way is also going to be infinitely better than the plan that you would come up with for your life. And that is super easy to hear in a sermon, or at least just moderately difficult to hear in a sermon, but it is enormously challenging to build our lives around that reality and to say, hey, I don't just know it as a point in a sermon, but I'm willing to walk that way. I'm willing to trade in my small expectations of life to be a part of what God is asking me to do. And to live that way is to live in total dependence on God and in a near daily conversation of, oh, Lord Jesus, help me make sure I'm getting it right. I want your will to be done, not just on earth as it is in heaven, but I want your will to be done in my life. But I need your help to make sure that's happening. I need you to guide my feet in the way of peace. And I need you to do it on an average Monday morning. And I'm going to need you to do it again at the lunch meeting and again in the afternoon. I'm going to need you to do it over and over and over again. I'll tell you a little bit of a personal story. I hope it's helpful. You may just end up thinking I'm weird, but whatever. It's worth the risk. Um, this summer, I took a little bit of a, a personal retreat, just kind of three days to be by myself with... God and Laura was super kind. She was like, "No, I'm I'm all about this. I'm going to watch the kids. You're gonna you're gonna go." And when I usually do something like that, um, in my mind, that just reads like Airbnb in the country, right? Because that's where Jesus lives. Um, So we go out to the mountains and the lake, and we visit him. And he says hi. Go back to the city, people. And here's what you say. Um, But this time we were talking, and um, both of us came into the kitchen one morning and kind of knew it was time to make plans for this. And Laura was like, "Hey, I've been thinking." I was like, "I've been thinking too." And she's like, "Hey." This is going to sound weird, but I think you should like go stay in a hotel in the city. I was like, no way. That's what I was thinking because I love hotels. I'm fascinated by hotels. And I was like, that's so interesting that we're on um, the same wavelength. So I went and, like, reserved this little hotel on Wisconsin Avenue in um, Bethesda. So it was exotic. I crossed state lines um, to get there. But I was on Wisconsin Avenue um, in Bethesda in early August. And as I got there, I just sort of went for a walk initially kind of up and down. Wisconsin Avenue, um, kind of get the lay of the land, see where I was, starting to think about dinner options a little bit, and I was like, okay, this is like a decent section of Wisconsin Avenue, but um, I, I, it wasn't the Wisconsin Avenue that I knew and loved, having gone to school in Georgetown. It was like a slightly different version of that, so like it felt like the best dinner option was going to be Panera Bread, which was great, got no problem with that, but I was like, all right, Panera, whatever, file that one away for later, went back to my room and I really just started praying, and it was one of these senses of like, God, I just want to know why. I'm I'm here. You know, this seemed like such a great idea, but now I'm just like hanging out by myself in a hotel in Bethesda, and I'll be eating Panera, and I don't know why in the world. I, what am I doing here? What do you want from me? So much so that I started going to Psalm 143, verse 8. This is, make me know the way I should go. For to you, I lift up my soul. It's just like, God, I want you to script the next three days. And as I was praying around that idea, um, it felt like it was time to go for dinner. And I just had this moment where, and this is where it could potentially start to sound weird, where I was like, no, I'm just, you know what? I am going to leave my phone. I'm going to take like a debit card and my room key, and I'm just going to go out for dinner. And like, God, I don't know. I just want you to like lead me to someplace better than Panera. Like, let's just like, come on, let's like go someplace together. No phone, no anything. So I, I come down, uh, down the elevator, through the lobby, and th- Wisconsin Avenue's to the left. Like, I had every intention of turning left, but for some reason I get to the front door of the hotel, and I don't know whether it's like the voice of God, the still small whisper of the Spirit. I had psychologically primed myself to do something different. I, I don't really know. But I was like, man, you should go right. And I was like, okay. So I start wandering right, into this little residential neighborhood. And I'm like, oh man, this is going to be great, right? God's going to lead me from the franchise excess of Wisconsin Avenue to some little mom and pop place, and I'm going to have like the best meal of my life, and it's going to be closer and better, and the whole thing. So I keep walking, looking for that spot, and I don't find that spot. I keep going for what seems to be a while. And now I'm like, okay, it feels totally self-defeating to just do a U-turn, walk back, and be like, oops, Panera it is. Let's go back that way. So, I, I get down. I think I turned right on like East-West Highway or something. I mean, I'm, I, I was gone for a couple of hours. I won't give you the full blow by blow, but it turned into a rather lengthy walk. I got my steps in that day, and it was like this roller coaster where I was like, this is so exhilarating. I'm like, following God, I'm just like, Lord, lead me back. I have a questionable sense of direction, but I'm pretty sure the hotel's that way, and this is all I got, but there was also these moments where I was like, hey man, what are you doing? You don't have a phone. You can't like Uber your way out of this nonsense. You can't Apple Maps your way out of this. You can't do any, you're just going to wander. And guys, it did. It's, I know it sounds weird, but it became sort of this holy, like, okay, every intersection. I'm not, I mean, I, like, I use Apple Maps, right? This is not how I navigate the city, right? I don't get in the car as Laura and I are going out someplace with the kids and be like, I know, guys, let's just let the Spirit of Jesus lead us today. I'm like, no, I put it in Apple Maps, and I pick the fastest route, and I will pay the tolls. That's fine. Thank you for warning me, but I will pay the tolls. And I was just walking around being like, all right, Lord, do I turn? Which way do I go? And ultimately, about two hours later, I make it back to Wisconsin Avenue, and I intersect Wisconsin exactly at the Panera Bread. And I'm like, no, see, Jesus, this doesn't work either because what I can't do is say, hey, the moral of the story is follow God. You might get a really nice walk and a tour of Chevy Chase, but guess what? You're still going to end up. So, there's just this thing in me that was like, no, I'm going to keep going. And I kept going to like another block or two and turned left. And those of you that are familiar with the area um, know maybe that that's sort of Bethesda Row back here which is like this whole collection of like fabulous restaurants or whatever. So I ended up going to this little market and had like two pieces of the best pizza of my life and went back home. And, and look, I, I, I'm not saying like, boom, there you go. I took a walk with God and ate good pizza. Aren't you ready to follow Jesus? No, but I will say this. I went back to my room that night and I wrote out a couple of pages of notes in a legal pad. And I wrote down at the top of it and came back to it several times that following God will be a more beautiful journey and it will lead you to a better destination, but you're going to have to give up control, right? That was the point of the story that I had no idea where I was going. I didn't have a map. I didn't have a plan. In the moment, it felt like I didn't have much of a safety net. I just had, Jesus, you're going to be able to somehow lead me. I can let go of control so that you can lead me on a more beautiful journey to a better destination. And I just wonder how many of us need to do that, not on a walk with God, but with all of our life with God, where we let go of the plan and say, would you lead me? By the way, the way you know that you are starting to walk according to God's plan is when you find yourself asking some really big questions about how the plan is going to come together. That's where Mary is in verse 34. Mary asks the angel, how can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? And sometimes people make a really big deal out of the fact that like, Mary asks this question in verse 34, and she seems to get away with it, yet Zechariah asks a a not dissimilar question. This one is about the age of his wife um, in the same chapter, and he's mute until the birth of his son. Why does Mary get away with it in Zechariah? doesn't. Um, Here's what I would say to you about that. Um, Probably the best study on this aspect of verbal communication has been done by researchers at the University of Texas who have concluded that only 7% of our communication is the actual words that come out of our mouth. That 93% of our communication with each other is nonverbal. 55% of it is body language, 38% of it is tone of voice. It's an interesting thought as we think about Scripture that really what we're getting is essentially Mary's 7% of what she said. And sometimes we try to compare Mary's 7% to Zechariah's 7% and be like, oh, it's because she said this and he said that. Man, I don't think that's the right way to handle this question. I think the way to handle this question is that Mary's 93% indicated an openness to whatever God was doing. And Zechariah's 93% was cynical and hostile and like, man, Get a life. It ain't going to happen. But Mary's coming with his openness to God, yet coming with a question, to which the angel says in verse 35 the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. That was Zechariah's question. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. And then a sentence that my guess is you've heard quoted over and over again. For nothing will be impossible with God. Step one for Mary was to surrender to God's plan. Step two is to surrender to God's power. And in some ways, this is where it gets even more uncomfortable. Because I think what all of us want is to be able to look at our Christmas, our December, our life, and have this sense that, like, yeah, that's going to work. Right? We want to script it, sell it, plan it, execute it. Right? We, we, we want this sense that we're not in over our head. We want this sense that it's all going to be okay, especially if we if we can get like a little boop from God, right? We just kind of like add up the constraints of our calendar and our finances and all the stuff. And, oh, if God just blesses it, just a little blessing from God, and we're going to be fine. But, y'all, I'm convinced that what God wants for us is to embrace a plan for our life that when we run it through the filter of our calendar and we run it through the filter of our finances and we run it through the filter of our careers and our commitments and our kids and all of that, we come up with a plan where we're like, wait, this doesn't work. I can't do it. Which means we feel like we are decidedly outside of our comfort zone. But it's in that place that God meets us with his power. Some of us are trying to figure out how it is that we can get the power of God to come in and fulfill our plan for our life. And God is saying like, no, 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 my power is available for my plan. You got to be willing to walk in dependence to experience the power of God. God's plan always requires God's power. And I'll just be honest with you, for some of us in the room, this is where your education, your finances, your ability, your network, your connections, your talent, your giftedness, it's where it's a liability, not a strength. Because truth be told, for a lot of us, you can get a lot done in your own power. God's given you a lot, and you can move the ball down the field a lot. You're the only one who hears the still, small voice of God at night saying, yes, but how much more if you would trust me? How much more would you experience my power if you would stop playing it safe? You can be celebrated as employee of the year. You can be a hero to everybody in your community group, but you go to bed at night knowing that you're still playing it safe because you're doing it in your comfort zone and in your power. And God is asking you, what would it look like if you traded in that plan that you could manage for one that you couldn't quite make happen? And you stepped into this space of saying, oh, Lord Jesus, if you're not in it, I'm in trouble. I think that's what God has for us. And that sounds like the antithesis of the way of peace, but he's like, no, that's where the peace of God is found. The peace of God is found paradoxically, it's found outside of our comfort zone, not in our comfort zone. It's God's plan. It's God's power. But man, if you're going to live life that way, you got to have something to undergird and motivate it. And man, did Gabriel give that to, to Mary. Verse 32, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. and He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. The thing that Mary had to do was surrender to God's promises. Mary, this baby boy is going to be the son of the living God. Mary, your son is going to be an unlikely but legitimate heir to the throne of David. Mary, this kid is going to reign over the house of Jacob, not just for a couple of years, not just for a good run in Jerusalem that reestablishes a sense of peace and prosperity for the nation. He's going to reign over the house of Jacob forever. This kid is going to sit on the throne at the right hand of his father because this kid has come to bring a kingdom that will literally have No end. And Mary had to figure out, do I really believe this? Obviously, she had a running start because she, of all people, was convinced that this was a virgin birth. She, of all people, knew that this was the move of God over her life. But I think we make a mistake because I think we say, like, oh, there you go, boom. Angel, vision, couple of sentences, that he's the Messiah of Israel. He's the Son of God, eternal kingdom. And Mary was like, oh, let me just get out my handy little journal. Son of God, excellent, great, Messiah, throne, forever, kingdom, boom. Sign me up. Let's text Joseph. Tell him where it's going to be a little bit of a different honeymoon than he was expecting. And here we go. No questions, no problems, no anything. Here we go. No. Look at what it says after Jesus is born. Verse 19 of Luke chapter 2, but Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. She had been communicated with by an angel. She had given birth to the Son of God, yet she still felt the need to protect space, to work the promises of God into her head and her heart. It wasn't a one-and-done thing for Mary where she's like, oh, got it, prophetic fulfillment. I'll just get to work in my Old Testament here and you know, connect all the dots and be like, oh, I bet you he's Isaiah 9 too, now that I think about it. She came back over and over and over and over again. Because right, it's not just enough to hear the promises of God. you got to work it into the fabric Of your mind and into the soil of your heart. Right? God's promise for you is as far as the east is from the west, so far has He taken his sin from us. Anybody else in the room know that but needs some space to work it into the soil of your heart? Right? God's promise to you is that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Anybody else like, ah, I've heard that. man, i got to work that a little deeper (laughs) into me because the voices of guilt and shame still ring really strong in my head. God's promise to you is he who has called you is faithful. He will do it. Anybody else in a season where you feel like, honest to God, you feel like you are walking the plan that God has for you. But you're wondering if he really is going to come through with the power that you need because it's starting to feel a little shaky. And you're thinking, I want it, but I just need to know that you're still in it, God. You can hear the promises of God, but it's going to take a lifetime to fully metabolize the promises of God. Mary surrendered to God's plan. Mary surrendered to God's power. Mary surrendered to God's promises. It's what I want for all of us. It's what I want for myself. My fear is that we would hear something like this and be like, man, that does resonate. Man, yeah, that is what I want for my life. But that we would somehow put it off to January. And I'd be like, man, that sounds like New Year's resolution kind of stuff. But what I got to do is like muscle through the next three weeks. I got to get through Christmas and then we can think about God's plan and God's promises and God's power. We'll get, we'll get to that. But, man, I, gotta, I just got to buckle down. Here's, here's my question. Are you willing to allow God to interrupt your plans? When Gabriel shows up, it's an interruption. And almost by definition, surrender is open to interruption. Control is the thing that says oh those are good thoughts I'll find a strategic time to implement them one of the ways you know that you're surrendered to God is when you're willing to allow God to interrupt you God may have something different for you over the next two or three weeks don't miss it because you've already got a script don't miss it because you've already decided to play it safe Don't miss it because you've already decided that somehow God's promises don't apply to you. Father in heaven, you are the one who says in your word that you will draw near to us when we draw near to you. And I am asking you to be faithful to that promise right here, right now, in this room. God, we did not just come here today to hear people sing songs. We did not come here to hear some person stand up in front of the room and talk. We came here, whether we knew it or not, because our souls are crying out for you. We came here to encounter you, and that's what I want to ask for in these next few minutes. God, that you would open up space. Space in our hearts, space in our minds to do the work that you want to do in us. So God, we give you these next few minutes. But Lord Jesus, by the power of your spirit, draw near to us as we draw near to you. In Jesus' name, amen.